following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Okay. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This truth, other than salvation, will affect the church more than anything that we believe. Everything we do for Christ is preceded by this foundational truth. If we don't believe we're new, why will the world believe we're new? You can't witness about something you don't believe or understand. We all struggle with this truth because it's not something we always feel. It's a truth based in facts given to us by God. But God knowing our hearts has not just given us facts. He's given us stories about people all through the Scripture. God was making people new before Christ's sacrifice and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You read about Abraham and Sarah and their names changed. And Jacob was called Israel. And this was to free them from their former selves and allow them to focus on God's purpose. And then during Christ's time on earth, there was Simon who was There was Simon, who Jesus renamed Peter, and Saul, who God renamed Paul. And that was for the same purposes. God changes all of us when we are saved. For the same reason. And we just need to accept it. So, there's a lot I could stand and talk about for a while. But what I decided to do was put it in the form of a story. Everybody likes stories? You got a time for a story? (laughs) So I I wrote this. And uh, it's not a doctrinal dissertation, so um, you can beat me up about it later. But But I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. It's just, it's a basic story. It just talks about becoming new and how hard it is to actually become new. So I'm going to read the story and then we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. I remember it was a Saturday evening and we were having a typical slow, easy time on the grandparents' front porch. We usually sat on the swing and talked, drinking soda, enjoying a special treat made by grandma. These were always special times of hearing them talk about their lives and faith, telling stories about raising my mom and hard times and simple pleasures. This night was a little different, though. Grandpa kept getting animated and excited, which wasn't like the old thoughtful man I knew. Grandma said she hadn't seen him like this in 30 years since he looked at it. It? What was it? Whatever it was made my grandparents act like children again. Grandma said he might, Grandma said he may not be ready to hear this one yet. Grandpa said, of course, he is why he's practically a man. And Grandma just shook her head at him, seeing how I was the only, 
I was only about 11 or 12. Of course, I said, one what? It was obvious to Grandma at the time Grandpa was baiting me. Again, airing her uncertainty. Again, I asked what he was talking about. Grandpa said, if, if he's old enough to ask me, he's old enough to know. And Grandma said, I'm staying, I'm staying though to keep you on target. I know all about you and your storytelling. And Grandpa gave her a wry look and laughed, saying she should probably stay. The old man sat back and took a deep breath and closed his eyes for a moment and let out a thoughtful sigh. He said, I know you've been in the attic and seen the mirror draped in a cloth I told you never to touch or to look at under. Well, that mirror is more than just an old antique. The mirror has been in our family for 400 years, and no, no, no one knows who had it before or how old it actually is. We only know the story that has been passed down to us and what the mirror does. This is the one story your grandpa never dresses up for lack of a better term, Grandma said. It was, and so Grandpa started to tell the story. It was the year 1617, and a pirate named Matthew Lucian was roaming the seas off the coast of Normandy, France. Lucian, I said, wait a minute, that's our last name, Grandpa. Grandpa told me he was a direct relative of ours and that to stop interrupting and just listen. All of my questions would be answered by the end of the story, but one. So Grandpa continued. As I said, it was 1617, and Lawless Lucian, as he was called, was lurking off the coast of Normandy, waiting to ambush French merchant ships, hauling the expensive wines made there. You see, he figured out the wine ships were lightly armored because armed because the pirates only went after hard treasure. Solution was solution was clever, though, and found buyers for the stolen wine and became very rich in doing so. He also murdered sailors and burned ships, so so he wouldn't face resistance when he attacked them. And it worked at least for a while, because he also made many enemies. The worst of being the French the French Navy, they set a trap for him, and they succeeded. The ship was sunk and his crew lost, but somehow he washed up alive on the shores of Normandy. Matthew, uh, he hid for several years, living off the kindness and generosity of strangers. Over this time, he de- developed a deep guilt for the evil things that he had done. This was due to the simple kindness and the charity he had been showed by people who could barely feed their children, but always found enough to share. Even when it meant going to bed a little hungrier that night, he tried, he tried to use good deeds and the same simple kindness to appease his conscience, but God would not let it be quieted. Then on one of the days when he was helping with whatever needed attending at the local orphanage where he usually worked, spent time with the children. He heard what sounded like a small riot at the front of the property. The children were laughing and yelling joyously, and, and the children, children's caretakers also seemed to be filled with a childlike glee. I had to know why. As I got closer, I could hear them yelling, Friar Pierre, Friar Pierre, Friar Pierre is here. As I moved closer, I could see the man they climbed and jumped on. 
He was large, muscular, and fairly intimidating to me. But the children appeared to have no fear of this formidable, formidable man. Now I could see his face and I was put at ease myself as I looked in his eyes. This giant of a man had a piece in his eyes and the countenance of an angel. I know this sounds dramatic coming from a pirate, but it's true. Just being near him seemed to make people happy. I knew I wanted, or better needed, what this man had. He never did anything. What I would, he never did anything what I would consider special. He just took his joy and gave it lovingly to the children. That evening I made it a point to sit next to him during dinner. I wanted to know what he did to receive this powerful joy. And as we talked, he spoke about knowing and accepting who God made you to be. And how true joy only can come when you can embrace this, even if it is not who you have become to this point. I thought on, I thought on this all night and still didn't really understand what he meant. So the next morning, I asked him if I could travel with him so he could teach me what he was talking about. He agreed, but warned me that you couldn't learn what he had. You had to believe it. I agreed, even though what he meant was completely foreign to me at this point. As we traveled from place to place, he had the same effect on whoever was there. He seemed to bring joy just by his presence. The friar didn't bring gifts or perform deeds or receive the response. It seemed, it seemed to be who he, it just seemed to be who he was. Also, as we traveled, we talked about Christ's forgiveness and the love and love and how it didn't depend on what you did in the present or what had done in the past, what you had done in the past. God wanted my heart now. I didn't have to get clean for God to love me. He would do the cleaning. All I had to do was accept it. Over time, I finally was able to ask Christ to forgive me. And I was filled with a sense of peace and great weight had been lifted from me. For some time, I enjoyed my new life. Then I began to feel as though my old self was starting to creep back. This was especially true during quiet times of thought or laying awake at night. I began to question if what had happened were real or just emotions. So I spoke to the friar about it. He looked me in the eyes and asked plainly, do you believe what Jesus did for you is real? And I plainly answered, yes. Then you have to understand in your heart and mind, you are new. You must believe it, not just feel it. I understand it. I understood it this time, but I still didn't. It just didn't seem real. I continued to travel with the friar. And during this time, he taught me scriptures and how to study them. I learned that serving wasn't to make me feel good or make God like me, but it was an extension of what of what Christ had done for me. But I still longed for what the friar had. After speaking with him about it, again, he told me it was time to travel back to the small village where it all began. When we arrived, he took me in his small room in the back of the abbey and had me sit in a, in a chair in the corner. His room was plain and dimly lit, but like always, his presence seemed to light up the room. He started by saying, I've been with you for two years now, and I can see you're serious about your quest to find who you are in Christ. With this, he went 
over to the far corner of his room and pulled a draped object from the corner. It looked like a large mirror under a blanket, and to my surprise, it actually was. First thing I've gotten right in this whole experience, I thought to myself in a quiet chuckle. I interrupted Grandpa at this point and said, this seems pretty detailed for a story handed down for the last 400 years. Grandpa looked a bit perturbed and said, what are you, some kind of a historical detective? This is the way the story has been passed down, and this is the way I'm going to tell it, if that's okay with you. Yes, Grandpa, I responded differently. So where was I? Um, Grandpa was doing his thing of thinking out loud like most people do. Ah, yes. So the friar pulled the draped mirror to the center of the floor and signaled with his hand for Lucian to stand in front of it. As I stood there, he began, he began to tell me, as I, as I stood there, the friar began to tell me a story of how he came into the possession of the mirror the same way I was about to and for the same reason. He told me he struggled the same way I do, and the friar took him under his wing, and a friar took him under his wing also. He told me nobody really knows where the mirror came from, but he could tell me what it does. Pierre told me the mirror allows you to see yourself the way God sees you. This was the answer I was looking for, but I, but I didn't believe it, and Pierre could tell. My perplexed look and disappointment my perplexed and disappointed look told him, put his hands on my shoulder and said, if you don't believe me, try it. Don't be afraid. The friar also told me that before I removed the covering, I had to have the faith that God changes men. And I have to accept what I saw because after you see yourself as God does, there is no turning back without consequence. And also the vision is for you and you alone. He turned to leave, but before walking through the door, he said with his back still to me, change for good or bad is frightening for all people, but change that involves an expected response is almost impossible for us comfortable beings. And with that, he silently left the room. At first, I thought I was ready, but every time I wanted to remove the old cloth covering the mirror from the mirror, I couldn't lift my arm. Something inside me didn't actually want to know the truth. What if I didn't like what I saw, or even worse, not be able to live up to what I saw? It was as if someone was whispering in my ear, you're you're no good, you're not worthy, I didn't make you as wonderful as other people. This went on for what seemed hours. Then, as I was awake, then, as if awakening out of a trance or a murky dream, I remembered the scriptures and how they spoke of forgiveness, grace, and newness of being. Being made in the likeness of Christ, my courage returned and I made my decision. And as my hand reached out, I heard the whisper again, you should stop and count the cost. After a split moment of hesitation, I replied, I have. Reached out, closed my eyes, and pulled the covering. When I opened my eyes, what I saw was awesome. Inspiring but, inspiring, but strangely familiar. Like a quiet friend you ignore, but is always there with you. As I gazed into the mirror, I realized who, was, 
who I was, and that everything else would flow from that. God had granted me the desire of my heart. I excitedly interrupted my grandfather again, asking, what did Lucian see? Grandpa replied, remember what the friar said, the vision is for you and you only. It doesn't matter what others see, just you. Others only receive what flows from the person who sees it. Then Grandpa continued, after Lucian received his vision, he he soon after was married, had many children, most of which were the children at the orphanage. He and his wife devoted their lives to taking care of the children where his adventure began. As for the mirror, it has been in our family ever since. That old thing was tra- has traveled by ship, covered wagon, train, plane, and car, and ended up in my attic. Grandpa, have you looked in the mirror? Yes, I have, he answered. But Grandpa, you seem so regular. <laughs> he, threw his, he threw his head back and laughed. Well, still chuckling, he said, remember, God shows you how he sees you. Not like the world or even you might think you should be. Sweetie, it's about being content with the idea that you were made by God himself, by the master's hand. Only then can you accept what you see in the mirror. Grandpa, can I look in the mirror? I asked hesitantly. You'll get your chance when you're ready. He answered in a calm, loving tone. How will I know when I'm ready? I can't answer that. Only you will know. But how, I asked. God will tell you in a way that you will not be able to ignore or deny. I accepted the answer and went on with life as I knew it. But the mirror was always in the back of my mind. Years later, I was about to be married and struggling with my own life, with how my life was about to change in my not being good enough for the person I loved, much less if we had children or the mistakes or or the ministries God had me working in. In my mind, I just couldn't live up to any of it. And all that was going on, I had forgotten about the mirror. Then one afternoon, I went to my grandparents' house looking for a pair of dress shoes my grandfather said I could borrow for my wedding. I couldn't find them anywhere. I was starting to get frustrated, and when my grandmother asked, did you check the attic in her normal calming tone? Oh, yeah, I should have looked there first. Grandpa's always putting things in weird places and then blaming people for moving them. So Grandma laughed and shook her head in agreement. The attic was just as I remembered it, organized but full of everything you could think of, from useless old clothes, some beautiful antiques, Christmas decorations, old photo albums, the normal eclectic collection eclectic collection found in a family attic. As I started to search for the shoes, my eyes can pass the covered mirror as if it were just another part of the rest of the collection. Then, like an electric shock, every part of my being instantly stopped, and I got excited at the same time. I went back 12 years in seconds. I was the young boy listening to my grandpa's story again. It felt good to go back to a simpler time, for even a few minutes with all that was happening to me. But then after the emotion passed, I was faced with the mirror. If you have ever been filled with curious expectation and dread at the same time, you know what I was feeling. I was all alone, just me in the mirror, and I had a choice to make that would affect me for the rest of my life. Would I chance looking? What if it changed my plans? Or what if what I saw wasn't what I wanted? I had to decide 
What is more important or real? The person I have created or the person God did? If you have ever faced this question, you know the answer is not as easy or as obvious as we might like to think. Fitting God in is much easier on our pride than being fit by God. And I made my decision quickly before I could talk myself out of it. I removed the cover and stood in front of the mirror. I wish I could describe to you what it is what it I saw, but the vision is for the seeker. All I can tell you is life was far less burdened and stressful after looking in the mirror. I was free. No more was I shackled by expectation, my own, others, or what I thought God's were. The plan didn't change. I changed. It wasn't until some time later I told my grandparents what happened, and they said they already knew. They could tell by the change in my life. Then they instructed me the mirror was now mine and to pass on the secret, but only to pass it on to those God led to it because it's not, because not all, not everybody needs it. And there are some who won't accept the gift. And now the mirror resides in my attic waiting for the next seeker. And then sometime later, grandma and grandpa were talking. And Grandma asked, do you think we should tell him the secret of the mirror? And Grandpa answered, no. God's spirit will reveal it when it's time. Let him believe now it's more than just a simple mirror. So, I hope everybody understood what I was trying to get at. The idea that changing's hard. We have to accept it. We have to look at ourselves as God sees us. Not as we see us, not as the world sees us, but as God sees us. So the mirror was just a placebo to allow the characters to accept what Jesus was trying to show them all along. We have to allow ourselves to be forgiven and changed. The Holy Spirit will only change what you allow Him to change. You have to give him permission to enter all the parts of your being. He already knows what, he already knows what's there. He's just waiting for you to give it to him. The good and the bad. Accepting this truth is giving the Holy Spirit permission to do the work of the sanctification in your life. This is probably the easiest truth for Satan to steal from individuals and from the church. If we don't accept this, the devil can whisper whatever he wants in your ear and you will accept it. When he says you're not good enough, you'll know it be it will be right from Satan's twisted lips. And you can tell him you're new. Call out to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to make this truth real in your heart and in your mind. And if you still if you're still hearing this, there are scriptures uh, that you can read. The whole New Testament's about this, but um, specifically Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 4. Matthew five seventeen, And uh, this is something uh, that we have to help each other with. We have to encourage each other with this. Reach out to one another. If you see, if, uh, act, if act, if you see someone struggling with this, this is, this is vitally important. Remind each other that we're new. You know, if you're comfortable with this truth already, help those of us who aren't. 
It's, it's, it's a, such an important thing. The longevity of the church, everything that we do is going to come from this. And, uh, I know it's a hard truth and everybody's walk does look differently. And the time schedules God has us on are all different. But we have to get this one right before we can truly grow as a church or in Christ as a church and as individuals. So I just, I'm, uh, just encourage you to explore this part of your life and, uh, keep asking God to, re- to reveal it to you if you struggle with it. To help you with it. Because our church, our, our future as a church depends on this. So, you, we need to, uh, there's always, hi guys. <laughs> So if anybody wants to, you know, if there's anybody that wants to talk about this, I'm always available, pastor's available, the elders, a trusted friend. This is a vital, vital truth for the church. We have to remember we're new. You can't. Oh, I know. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so. All right. That's what I wanted to share and we'll just uh, close in prayer real quick here. Father, we uh, we ask you to please help us to understand who we are in you, to accept it, to work through it, Lord. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to make it part of who we are. We are new creations. We are different now, Lord. Help us not to sink back into what we were before, but to but to stay strong in you, Lord, and to always remember who you who you made us to be, each one of us. In Jesus' name. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.